Hello and welcome to the Comedians Outlook podcast. This week I am joined by close friend and fellow comedian Joe Tennant. He is a brilliant comedian but by day he is a specialist in neuroscience and recently he has been on the show The Story of God which is narrated and presented by Morgan Freeman so he speaks all about that in this episode. I really hope you enjoy. I just wonder, at what point did you like decide that you wanted to get up on stage and, and talk? Yeah, I mean, so I've I've liked stand up for a long time. Like, I mean, uh, one of the the earliest memories of that for me was I was, I guess I was thirteen, thirteen around there. Yeah, uh, when Robin Williams Live on Broadway came out, and I must have listened to that album like fifty times. Like, I was just obsessed. That that was so funny, and I. Uh, I just, I, I remember, uh, actually, so I, I listened to the album a lot. I never watched the actual live performance. And the first time I saw the live performance, I was recovering from surgery at age 16. Mm. And I remember really vividly having, like, a morphine button just to, like, help with the pain and watching that and laughing. And I had, it was intestinal surgery. So if I laughed, it really hurt. Oh, right. And I just, like, couldn't help. So I was just pressing the button as much as I could, trying to get through the, like, the special, because I was just laughing so hard and so much I liked it. Um, so I've, I've really liked stand-up for a long time, but I never really thought of that as something I do until uh, college. There was a, so I lived in a dormitory for the first like three years of college and there was an open mic for the dorm, just like outside on the stairs, like the front patio. And I sort of just wandered up and I was like, "Eh, give it a shot. Why not? And so there's something you could talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I did like two or three things uh, only because a friend of mine encouraged me and said that you should, you're funny when we talk to you, you should try it out. Mm. It went Okay. Um, and I, I sort of like, oh, that's fine. I could do that again, maybe. Uh, then at the University of Kansas, this is the same university, um, they had a, a stand-up comedy sort of competition. It was essentially like amateurs at the university come do it. And I thought, you know what, that'd be fun. It was my third gig, I think. And yeah. I went into this competition. And um, it was hosted by, at the time, just a traveling comic, now more of a name, Roy Wood Jr., yeah. who is now on The Daily Show. But yeah, at the yeah, time, yeah. was just you know, he was doing the college traveling circuit. And he was basically saving the night as, you know, sophomores and juniors were bombing on stage where, you know, we'd get up and do five or ten and then he'd get up and do 15 and just sort of keep the night going. And then he judged at the end. I didn't win, but it was sort of cool to see someone who's doing it as a job versus just the rest of us. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, But uh, so then I moved to Chicago. So I'd done a couple of of shows in Kansas, not really anything special. But Chicago is a great stand-up scene. And so that's when it really moved from, like, I can do this when there's a random thing here on to I'm going to go pursue open mic nights. I'm going to try to do some more stuff. Um, I mean, it's grad school, so time was limited. But it became something I really enjoyed doing. Like, that's my night out kind of thing. Mm. So when, when you came over to the UK, how much did you find the difference between, like, UK comedy and, and comedy in the US? There's oh, a, a lot of things. Um, the first was just how to get on a bill. <laughs> so, like, in the, in the American stand-up scene, this might be more true in London than Cambridge. But yeah. You, there's an open mic night means you walk up, you put your name on a list, and yeah. you just start reading down the list until they At get the to your name. At the bar or something, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, that was very much the, the dynamic I was used to. And I was also used to there just being an open mic somewhere in the city every night, more like two or three, frankly. And so, you know, it was it was much easier to be impulsive and go do stand-up. Here, the first year I was living in the UK, I didn't do any. Because yeah. I didn't really know where in Cambridge to do it. And I didn't really want to travel because I don't drive in this country. Yeah. So it wasn't until Josh Masson, who's now living in London doing the London scene, uh, started doing first laughs, which I've taken over since then. It's an open mic. Yeah, image. yeah. Um, 
And I just turned up. I happened to be around the tram when they were doing it. And I was like, oh, is there a list? And he says, oh, we book ahead of time. And I went, oh, is that how it works here? And it turns out for a lot of mics in the UK, yeah, yeah. You, you book in a couple of weeks in advance and you get your name on. They bring you in. All that means is you don't have an agent, <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. in the US. Is literally, I've seen people walk up off the street. I've seen, like, we had, I remember a really tense show in Chicago. A friend, uh, uh, My friend Cody ran an open mic in Chicago for a bit. This bar called Friar Tux. It was kind of a mediocre <laughs> yeah. uh, bar, but you know, it was, it was it, all right. Open mic, um, it, like the, the the venue was sort of weird for it. It's kind of a, one of those flat things where you just set up a microphone and we just hope people looked at us. Um, this uh, an unhoused man came in off the street and just like signed up, and you know, we didn't know who he was. It's like, oh yeah, and he starts getting into it. He's talking about being unhoused and stuff, and it has this weird edge where some of it was kind of funny, and some of it had a really sort of grim <laughs> turn. Like this moment, like I mean, you guys don't even know who I am. I could stab all of you. We're like, please don't. It was very like, it was kind of tense. I mean, but that's the dynamic. Anyone could just show up here. Yeah. It's a little more controlled. Like you yeah, do yeah. some more vetting. It's just, I think it's because if you had a fully open mic night and you had like 30 acts come in, it'd be very hard to fit 30, 35 minutes into, into a set, you know, into yeah. a night. But, well, I mean, but like, open mics here are more produced. Yeah. Like, and, I mean, yeah. in the U.S., like, I mean, I know in Chicago, you'll get a list. Like, there was a, there's a mic there um, at Comedy Sports, one of the improv theaters, and it's their Monday Night Chaser. So they have the Monday Night Showcase, and then they do the afterwards of the open mic. So they have a showcase from 7 to 8, and yeah. at 8.30, they just start taking names. And their whole deal is they've never turned anyone away. Right. And so you would have, you know, 45 comics on the roster, and it would go from 8.30 till 2.00 in the morning really? as your audience dwindles and dwindles and dwindles and dwindles <laughs> but anyway they do anything for a good stage time because it's a really yeah, nice yeah. stage um and so the whole game was you would have to wait until about 2 30 finish that set just like you do you know three minutes to no one <laughs> and then you're just waiting around because at the end of the night they put the list for next week and if you're hanging out you can reserve your earlier spot right but then anyone else so if you if you impulse it you're like number 20 on the list but oh, if you're wow. hanging out you can maybe put it on but I mean, that's that's a lot of open mics in in the U.S. This is just sort of a marathon of people trying to keep people's attention. Yeah. And so, how much how much do you change your like your set, your material, and um, like when because you you're going back to the U.S. soon, so I imagine you'll get back on the scene over there. I just wondered how much do you alter your your set. A lot, actually. Um, and that was sort of a learning curve for me. It's just why... It, it's hard to know, because so much of American media is exported. We, uh, we, we America does very well culturally of sending stuff out. You know, everyone's seeing Marvel movies. American media is big. Um, and because of that, I think there's... It, and this is some arrogance on my part. I just assumed a lot of the cultural references I had would be people, things people would get just because of yeah. how ubiquitous a lot of American culture is. There's a lot of sitcoms that made it over here. It's kind of weird. Um, you know, I can talk about friends here. Friends was a big American sensation. It was, yeah, actually, yeah. It was a big international sensation. That's just, That's it's, true. it's wild. Um, but I had to learn that a lot of the things that I think are funny are just things that people haven't heard of here. Um, yeah, exactly. And, so it's hard to be relatable in that sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I have this joke I really love. This is based on a true story. I had a dream where I was a stagehand on DMX the musical. And it's not like a musical about DMX, but it's like a musical like Sesame Street where there's puppets. 
and they're running around having problems, hoping DMX will help them. Yeah. And so it'd be like these musical cues where they're like, oh, I can't reach the jam. Won't someone help me reach the jam? And they're like, X gonna we'll give it to you. And like, that would be the whole bit. And I thought it was really funny. It's some of the other comics think it's really like silly and fun. But I realized like no one, like DMX's profile in the UK is kind of low. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Not a lot of people th- like on site recognize a DMX do you think? Joke. Do you think you could... Is it is it is it possible to change the name of it to make it relatable? Like it's so specific. It's so to DMX. specific. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I mean, I, I have to drop it after. Like, so I remember I I did it for the third time. Like, okay, I just got to keep. I'll, I'll keep workshopping it. I'll tweak it a bit. We'll get there. And but the third time I did it, I actually stopped and said, "Who here knows who DMX is?" Yeah. And a man in the front literally goes, "Is he a rapper, man?" <laughs> no way. I, I give up. I quit. <laughs> I'm off it. Yeah. Um, like, so if, if there's nothing else you're looking forward to doing when you go back to the US, is doing that joke. <laughs> he's so that's it's one of them yeah it's stuff like that it's so my my comedy in the uk for me has become a lot more explainy kind of stuff yeah. like you know the difference between america and the uk is x i notice this weird thing about your culture because i'm not part of it yeah. and then the big thing is american politics which is much less sort of of the week topical and much more here's a big story that i think people know they kind of want to understand but just haven't read up on it yeah um, it's a bit annoying when you're doing a short set as well yeah. that you have to spend three or four minutes explaining something <laughs> before you get to that punchline that it may not land or it could land you know it's, yeah. it's a bit annoying <laughs> yeah so, I mean that's why I, I, I only do the political stuff really for longer sets because there's yeah. just not enough time to get into it yeah that's true because um, yeah. I, I, I have a lot of like I have a lot of material about the sort of the unfolding Russia scandal and the investigation yeah, yeah. around the administration's ties or potential collusion and it's I think there's it's that whole situation is on its face very absurd and it's honestly if you're breaking it down sometimes very funny just in how comically corrupt they are like like it's it's so brazen it it does make you laugh a little bit um but you have to get into some pretty specific names you get into the weeds a bit with it and that's already i think probably going to be a little tricky in the u.s it's much harder here when people don't know the key players yeah that's true so i have to i I, I have this joke about this guy carter page you maybe seen this yeah i think so yeah yeah and when i first started doing it i would just sort of break it down and get into the punchline and stuff and i was just getting like deer in the headlights and so i have to rewrote the whole segment to be like, I open with who here knows who Carter Page is, yeah. and no one raises their hands. They go, "That's the point. You shouldn't have to know who he is." Yeah, that's true. But now I'm going to explain why you, you we now need to know who he is and why it's crazy that he's like this. Cause yeah, we, yeah. It's, it's a wild story, and it's it's quite funny because the people when you go into American politics, people expect you to go straight into the Trump stuff. Yeah. But, but when you go into someone like Carter, it's they're like a bit confused. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because of that. It's, it's they're like, oh, we don't know this guy. I'm expecting to hear about trump but now this guy's yeah. talking about some other guy but yeah i actually i really avoid talking about the president directly i yeah. think it's unhelpful and nothing you can say as a stand-up is going to match how buffoonish and he is as a person is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's his whole brand and i honestly think it feeds him when we paint him as his larger than life figure rather than kind of a sad man who cheats on his wife like when yeah. you phrase it that way it sounds really pathetic <laughs> but if you like if you really buy into the mythos of him and the bigness that gives him a lot of power but if you just think of him as sort of a weird adulterer like yeah, <laughs> he doesn't sound nearly as intimidating. He's never quite grown up, and has got loads of parent issues. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, but I, I talk about a lot of the people around him because they're honestly much weirder as people. Yeah, yeah. and they're and unlike him, they're taken much more seriously. And if you peel back the veil even a little bit, you like, how are any of these people allowed to be in the public life? It's what it's absolutely wild. That's what's yeah. fascinating to me. Yeah, that that, and I think it's quite interesting that I I think there's one thing being Trump, but there's another thing following the man. 
yeah. and actually believe in everything he says and getting behind him and all that sort of stuff. And uh, yeah. I always ask myself more questions about them, about how why why they follow him. Yeah. Aside from the obvious that he's rich and they they can get rich off him. But yeah. well, so, I mean, but that's that, that's I think what's interesting about the administration is how much grift is involved yeah. and how many of these people are pretending to be true believers but are really just running a scam. I mean, you know, you have Michael Cohen, his personal lawyer, longtime fixer, now, you know, you know, turning state's witness and testifying about all these crimes. Well, ninety percent of them are going to end up in prison. <laughs> they are. Many of them are already on their way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like Michael Cohen was, you know, working with the president, being very loyal to the president, but he was only doing it so he could sell access, and he yeah. admitted to trying to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, like that's a that's a scam. I think Roger Stone has done a good job of scamming this presidency by being close to the president and then using that to get media appearances that he gets paid for, and so then he's getting all these paid appearances, making a lot of money doing that. Um, you know, Paul Manafort was doing the same with the yeah. illegal lobbying. He's facing so much jail time. Um, that's. One, that's one bit I can do is just yeah. how much jail time Paul Manafort is facing because you only need to know a little bit about him to know it's it's legitimately funny how much time he was looking for it. I call it the Paul Manafort game where I just ask yeah. people how much jail time is a lot of jail time. I just keep going up toward the original max sentence he was facing yeah. and no one's ready for it because it's 305 years. It's so much jail time. Yeah, um, <laughs> America hasn't been a country that long. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, not officially, no. So it's, it's not it's not comedy related, but you've been on the story of God with Morgan Freeman. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so that's actually that's going to air in America in like three days. Um, so I actually haven't seen the footage yet, which is scary. Um, but and then it airs in the UK a bit later. Like it just it it the whole thing's surreal. I had the moment yesterday. I realized, oh my gosh, I'm going to be on Netflix. Like you can <laughs> yeah. watch a Netflix show, and I'll, my face will be there for a minute. Um, but yeah, no. So I, this is this is my 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 real job. Uh, I, I do research in psychology on religion, and we have been doing research on mystical experience and epilepsy. So people whose seizures have a mystical component to them. And we did a public talk that got a little radio attention, which is very exciting for us. And that happened to be spotted by Nat Geo. Uh, so this was in November of 2018. Yeah. And they reached out to us sort of last minute, like, we've been trying to find someone on this subject. You, are you available? Can you bring one of your patients, uh, put us in contact? And kind of just, I went down with no expectations. The night before, I found out that I was going to be explaining my research to Morgan Freeman. It's kind of surreal to have a professional TV shoot and do all that. Like, you know, did. They, they check your hair. They give you your mark. <laughs> and you got to meet God as well. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, people have been making that joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, he's, he's an interesting guy. Um, it is sort of surreal because he has this. He's been. He has narrated so many things that. Yeah. You have the the, thir- the first minute of meeting Morgan Freeman is getting used to the idea that you're sort of your your life is not being narrated. You're just talking to a guy. Yeah. Because um, yeah. you're just so used to thinking of this. Is sort of larger than my figure, and he is just a—he's a guy. Yeah, he's yeah. a very tall man, but he is—he is at the end of the day a human being. And so, like getting getting comfortable, just like calling him by his first name, like he prefers, and sort of just chatting, like it, it was—it was sort of weird for a minute. Um, got there eventually. Um, so yeah, he's nice. So, did you get to speak to him much around? around that like you know you obviously you did the shoot and everything yeah. but did you have time to like sort of just speak to him in general yeah a little bit i mean because it's it's one of those things where um like you, know, you have a lot of in-between takes i had to reset some cameras you know doing getting mic'd up stuff like that so i mean yeah. just the actual production of the show meant that we had some downtime um 
And so, you know, like the whole premise of, of our segment was him essentially asking me questions about the research and asking the patient about some of their experiences and us just kind of me just kind of breaking it down and him just sort of explaining it. So like, it's a very, it was a very casual conversation. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes I'd have us repeat stuff because they, you know, could you repeat that a little slower? Could you clarify that term? But I mean, it was for the most part kind of like this conversation here. Yeah. yeah. Um, but as a consequence, I've, sort of, I've been, I've been compared to Morgan Freeman. Hey. So I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, so some of the listeners will think that because the person I'm speaking to now has met Morgan Freeman, that I have direct access to Morgan Freeman. No, no, no. I don't, I don't have his number. No, nor do I. <laughs> so don't don't even try that one because it's not going to happen. Yeah, and don't try it with me too because, again, I just kind of showed up and they're like, here, talk to this person. Yeah. That's not how it works. Um, I know he said once in an interview that he'd given up hard drugs. He mm-hmm. won't do, he won't do um, any more hard drugs, but he'll never give up cannabis yeah. because it's one of God's creations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he said he just... You know, that age, you might as well just carry on. We talked a little bit about uh, cannabis um, yeah. in the context of epilepsy. Because it was just that week, uh, the UK had said go ahead with uh, cannabis oil trials. Yeah, that's right. With yeah. epilepsy prevention. So we got into that a little bit. Um, and, you know, it was, it was kind of a, there was a bit of a wink and nod jokiness to the conversation. But, it you know, that that's not something that's particularly like, oh, starstruck. That's just a conversation with a guy who would sort of valued that as part of pain reduction and yeah, yeah. Was, was eager yeah. to have that access to other people. So bringing it back to comedy a bit, considering this is a comedy podcast. Comedy podcast yeah. yeah. Now, now I'm under pressure to be funny. Just to, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to get into a bit about like your worst gig you've ever done. Like when you've really come off and you thought, wow, why do I even do this? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some competition for that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I do, like I said, there's a lot of open mics when I can get it, especially in Chicago where it's really just, do I have the time for this right now? Yeah. Um, I had a couple of really bad ones. Oh, uh, what are some of the worst ones? So one of them, there was this, I was at this bar and they would like, they allowed dogs. I'm allergic to dogs. I was already having kind of a bad time. And it was a weird, it was really not, it was a place I've never been before for an open mic. And it was like a random Tuesday. I was like, I'm just going to go do it. I want to get out and do something. And there was a very different sort of comedy crowd. Like, like, you know, I, Chicago's a big scene. There's a lot of people there. Yeah. Um, I didn't recognize anyone. And usually I can spot at least one person I've seen around before, but this was just, it was a weird alien sort of group. And there was a lot of much more race-based materials, a lot more drug-based material. Right, a lot of people okay. talking about, like, I was on coke doing this. Just stuff that was never part of the scene I was used to. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm on later in the list, and... A lot of the audience has already been walked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I just remember doing this material and there was one person who was one of the comics and she was just kind of nodding. And I was like, is this, that's the best reaction I'm going to get is someone going, oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Just because I wasn't, you know, doing like drug material stuff. It's just yeah. like, it was really out of my element. I felt really uncomfortable because I was mm. trying to not. I, like I, the I silence is worse than anything. The, well, the silence is rough, but also just feeling like you're doing material that's so inaccessible to just a different. It, it was for me a very sort of big. I, it was a big like shock to me yeah. because I was really used to these comedy rooms where there's a bit more of an alt vibe to it, a bit, people trying out a bit more conceptual stuff. And he was really sort of street level, like we're doing race, we're doing drugs, we're doing farts. Like, and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but I was totally like, yeah, I don't know how to interact with this. How early on in doing comedy was this for you? Uh, this would have been like 
2011, so this would have been about three years in. Okay. Um, but you know, I started out doing you know stuff at my university, and yeah. I was picking open mics that I could get to, and so I had sort of I'd curated for myself sort of a, a, a bubble. I mean, I, this is the first time I really popped. I, didn't, I just realized like, oh my god, I'm doing. I've been picking my spots pretty carefully, and that's not an option when you're doing no, just stand no. up full time. And that was one of the that was one of the times I really stopped and thought like, I don't know if I could do this as a career. Like, yeah, like, you know, for every for every really cool gig in a cafe or something, there's going to be a really rowdy gig where no one cares what I'm doing yeah, and aren't interested true. in it. Well, I was, so you have three years, and I just wonder if. Because one of the things that I noticed doing comedy is actually mm-hmm. being being in a room before you're set, long before you, you go on, yeah. it's really helpful to read sort of what's gauging and reaction. So yeah. you said that you went in there and there, there was a kind of specific type of comedy that was working. Yeah. Do you think with a bit, do you think if you were to do that again, would you try and read the room a bit and try and do just improvise and do bits off off that or maybe I mean so this is part of it's like. It was the, the perspectives being presented were just so different from mine that I right. really felt just like out of my element. I felt out of my depth. Like you know, I don't. I've never done any recreational drugs apart from some drinking. So like, yeah. I, I, I have no way to access that. I can't do it. In terms of the race stuff, you know, this wasn't people talking about their racial perspective. I can work with that. I'm used to doing some of that material. I do some of that myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm half Puerto Rican, even though I don't look at it at all. <laughs> um, but this was this was. Like a lot of white people making jokes about other races, and right, it's okay. really uncomfortable. I mean, those. So I remember, I remember pretty vividly. This one guy, his whole joke was he said, it's "Like, yeah, I was on a flight recently, and there was this guy. He came on and he had a turban and a beard, and he gave this like sort of pained look, like uh oh, to the crowd. Mm. And there was some like mixed chuckles. I'm like, that's just a very racist thing you did, my dude. Like, all you did was racially profile a Sikh. Why are you talking about this like it's some sort of great joke? <laughs> and you know, people were into that. But like, I that's for me, I was immediately like, I hate this and i hate you for doing this how am i going to make this crowd laugh if they like this like that felt yeah, very yeah, yeah. weird to me i, okay. I mean I had, a, I had a similar experience in edinburgh when i was there last mm. year where this guy did a set and the whole joke for him was i was having sex with this woman and you know i, I during it i slipped off the condoms i don't like condoms you come on guys you've done it before i'm like no that you raped a woman and you just told everyone on stage yeah that's is horrifying yeah, and thankfully okay. for that one the crowd was not on board with it either okay like, everyone immediately rec- like, there's only seven people in a room but everyone immediately recognized that this was a nightmare and like you know he, he sort of walked off sheepishly and he tried to do another bit about it like he's talking about you know now i'm thinking like whoa did i get anything from her and the dude in the crowd literally went like dude that's rape and it's your fault <laughs> like that's the kind of heckle you're getting you need to fucking quit comedy you know yeah um so i mean so, yeah you, you get horrifying stuff like that and that those are the rooms where i feel like i don't need to do this for a career that's, <laughs> no. this is terrible uh-huh. but then sometimes you have great ones and that's super worth it um I remember there was another show in Chicago um, where this guy was running an open mic. It was one of the only Friday open mics I could find, really, which okay. was exciting. Because um, I know use a lot of real shows on Friday. <laughs> so yeah. the open mics yeah. are a little far in between. And this guy, he brought up his girlfriend to do some stand-up. And she was the second person on. And she gets into a, like, I'm from, I'm from the American South. And then she says the N-word. Ooh. And she's a white lady. And she goes, and everyone kind of freezes. She goes, no, it's fine. I'm from the South. I can say that. And I could really see, like, the room, the vibe of the room was, that's the opposite of the truth. <laughs> you, yeah. you, especially you can't say that. You're the yeah. worst person to say that. And it got deadly silent, and she floundered for a minute, and then just left. Like, not, not like, got off stage, like, visibly left the bar. <laughs> oh, really? And it was really awkward. And the guy goes up, he's like, all right. 
our next comic is Joe Tennant. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I can't do anything here. Like that was maybe yeah. the worst introduction I've ever gotten. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's a, that's a little bit weak as the MC actually, because I think a decent, well, I'm sure he was a good MC, but I'm sure if I was MC in that one, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to have to do at least five minutes of like, warming them back up a bit. Well, I mean, this is a guy who's trying to go find his girlfriend. <laughs> like yeah. He was ready to get out of there. Oh, really? Find her. So like, you know, he, wow. he just kind of abandoned the show because his girlfriend did something racially insensitive. That actually gets me onto an interesting topic. How much do you censor your your material when you're writing? Writing because obviously, clearly, she's got absolutely no filter between brain and stage. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, I I don't know about censor, but I I definitely try to when I write a joke about subjects that are a bit more sensitive. I try to think, what's the point of this? Like, what yeah. am I actually saying here? Because, you know, you, when you talk about politics, you talk about questions of race. Or I do jokes about, like, you know, feminism and gender. Like, not like I'm thinking, is this a joke about the weirdness that is the way we've constructed, like, masculinity? Or is this a joke that kind of just makes fun of feminism? Because I, yeah. I, I want to make sure that's, that I don't want to do the second one. And I think when you're when you're playing around with, like, you know, dudes doing things, you can sort of bump up against some of these tropes unironically. I, 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 sorry, you can bump up against them accidentally. Yeah. Like, like I have a bit about uh, a weird experience I had in a strip club. And, you know, I was sort of like, I don't know how comfortable I am as a feminist at a strip club and got bought a lap dance out of spite. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, but the, you know, I, I've gone back and forth on this joke because it's uh, for me, what I'm trying to do is talk about how, you know, it, it's good to be a feminist. But when you're in all male spaces, there is a lot of pressure to kind of put those ideas aside. Yeah. And that can yeah. be a little that you can sort of feel that pressure and it kind of sucks. But a lot of the humor of it is also how weird this stripper was. <laughs> And so, like, you know, am I making fun of sex workers when I do that bit? I'm trying not. I, that's not the plan. It's just like this whole situation is weird and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. So, but, so what you're doing is you're you're not segregating or, or diminishing someone doing a particular job. Yeah. What's funny about what you're doing is this, is the the scenario around that. So imagine me as a feminist yeah. now in a very awkward situation where I'm sitting in a, a strip club having yeah. to be a man because yeah. there are stereotypes to be in a band so mm-hmm. everything around that is funny yeah. and that's fine I think that's fine I think if that was taken out of context yeah. then maybe it would be offensive but that's only if it's taken well, out of context so but wait, when we this question of censoring I just had to stop and reflect like you know, yeah. it, who, who am I actually who is this joke actually about who am I targeting with this joke yeah. is this fair because uh, you know I think you can do stand up about with subjects but you need to be careful that you're not going after communities that are already suffering and yeah. you need to if you're, if you're not sure ask like that's something that I try to make a point of if I'm going to do a joke about X or Y and I know someone in that affected community I'm like hey is this like over the line I don't think it is but like I want to double check and I I think there's only one time I really had someone go like hey, you may want to just drop this <laughs> um and like you know you, you just listen to those communities listen to the people in your life who are like you don't need to do that joke you, this is not appropriate like I remember it was uh, when around the it's like very early on like a little bit after Britney Spears had like shaved her head yeah, yeah. Um, and I had this joke like oh gosh Britney Spears she's shaving her head like oh gosh she thinks she's a lesbian now and my friend of mine was like hey like not a lesbian shave their heads and it's not a man. I'm like, oh, well, no, I'm saying she doesn't get that. Like, she's she thinks she is, even though she's not. And they're like, yeah, but it's not coming off like that. And I was like, okay, fair enough. And I just dropped it. Like, it's not that big of a deal yeah, to yeah, yeah. have critique and listen and not do it. It's really difficult to talk about comedy in America because it, it does vary from state yeah. to state. So it, we're talking about it in a very 
generalized, generalized mm. way, really. But one of the common things in America is, is, is oh, what the fuck's up with this guy? Yes. Yeah. You know, you can do that sort of stuff and it, and it mm-hmm. goes down well. And, and for a long time in America, people would be annoyed if you didn't do the classic joke that you used to do. Mm. So people want that repetition, a bit like yeah. how people repeat songs, you know? Yes. Whereas in the UK, we're constantly trying to have to do new stuff. Mm-hmm. Or, or if we're going to the same places, we, we're always battling with not wanting to be old or, or sure. tired on, on our on our stuff. And how would you advise someone from the UK going into like American comedy? Mm. Uh, how would you prep them for stand up there? I would so I would a tell them to be be ready for a little more audience interaction. And it's yeah. not going to be the oh say something funny like that doesn't happen. Like in the US, people are just going to kind of. Like hecklers in the U.S. are going to be a bit more a direct to you, and B is going to be a little more about the material. Like they're okay. going to talk up, and just be ready for it. It's okay. A lot of times you can shut it down pretty easily, and it's not everybody, but it's some people. Um, I think it's the second thing would be you don't you don't need to worry about whether you've done the same material or not. Like really, I think unless you're a touring pro, you can assume for the most part that unless your friends are in the audience, a lot of people haven't seen you perform. Before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's okay to do some safe stuff. Like as long as you're having fun, I think it's fine. <laughs> Honestly, like if you're enjoying yourself on set, that energy sort of comes out. Like people, people enjoy it. will go along with you. Um, it's really when you start getting tense that people don't like it. And third, I think, I guess the one big difference for American economy is American comedy is they want. I think there's more of a cry for authenticity. Right. I, I think in the UK you can come in and be like, "I'm doing a set. This is my bit. Here's a, here's my long list of puns, or here's my alliterative like two minute rant section." Yeah. And people are very on board for that sort of setup. They're they're eager for a character. Like there there's a level of artifice that's very tolerated here that I think people have less patience for in the US. Like characters or stuff like that is sort of the domain of sketch comedy, and if you're doing stand-up a lot of stand-up in the u.s is about authentic takes on stuff and being you and that's not everybody obviously some people so do you're very just well telling your so. personality more than anything you think yeah well like you don't you don't need to like you're performing but you need to i think and this is maybe just my my nonsense perspective because of the way chicago is but mm. i think there's a lot more interest and emphasis on authenticity and some of this it, it some of this parallels hip-hop culture where you're supposed to write all your own set like mostly if you don't write your own like like rhymes in in hip-hop culture you're kind of a faker and people don't like it yeah. if you borrow any material in the u.s like you're kind of a scumbag really yeah, yeah like you yeah. can't be doing the same stuff you got to be variation you got to do a lot of your own thing you gotta be original yeah. i think you know you you can do a similar type of set to people in the uk and people have more tolerance for it so observational humor works a lot better in the u.s because in the uk we're very much the butt of the joke often so we we go on stage and then the way we legitimize what we're talking about is Mm. by saying it's from my perspective this happened to me so you can laugh at me Mm Rather than targeting, yeah. People, um, well, so that—that's that, a good one. That, that's, I'm glad you raised that because something I noticed here that is self-deprecating humor works well here. Yeah. In America, I have some friends who really like doing sort of the self-deprecating style, and they're more influenced by the UK scene. Yeah, yeah. And they would try to do these self-deprecating jokes, and people would just go, "Oh, yeah. <laughs> like there's there's like a yeah. real there's an intense sympathy, and it's it's hard to get your material going if you're trying to make fun of yourself. Yeah. When people are being really sympathetic and like, <laughs> like, oh, buddy, are you okay? It's like, no, this is a bit you can laugh. Like <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of comics trying to do stuff like that have to say like it's okay you can laugh 
Yeah. Like yeah. because like I said, there's this 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 you're 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 being presented as like who you are. There's this cry for authenticity. So when you're like talking about something sad, people are really like, Oh no, buddy. And that that level of I, like I have, a, I have a shrink you could you could speak yeah, to. Yeah, hey, you wanna we can get a drink and talk. Like <laughs> yeah. here with this sort of like there's a bit more room for this is a performance, there's a bit of artifice here. Yeah. People are wanting to go like, I bet this person doesn't actually hate themselves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> In yeah. America it's hard to do that. So I mean that that's another thing I'd say if you're going over is if you do self-deprecating stuff you got to sort of you got to create a little more emotional distance between the mm. material because people will people will not be going along for self abuse that long uh, not no. not as long as you're used to i think yeah i mean yeah you so you can go on well, you can do the confidence stuff in the uk mm-hmm. but you just have to you have in the uk we have to lower our status a yeah. bit you know mm-hmm. so we have to buy whatever it is or even like yeah. successful comics that you know on tv tv names and stuff mm-hmm. they they have to maintain some level of lower status than the audience so yeah. if you're rich then mm. you have to find something about it are you older than the audience are you going to die before them or something yeah. and you have to get clever around that because you mm. can't just say that oh yeah um it was really bad when when i tried to buy a bottle of milk but i didn't mm. have 50p in my pocket to buy it you know yeah it doesn't work people mm. don't people know that the illusion's broken by that time You're going back to the US soon. Yes. So, what what does the next year and beyond hold for you? Oh man, why'd you why'd you do that? Um, I don't know yet. Like I said, I'm applying for academic jobs, and that's always very challenging because the market there there are positions out there, but you don't really get to pick where you are. You kind of have to take the job you can get a lot yeah. of times. Um, so, I don't really know what city I'm going to be living in yet. I've put it in for a couple of places. Um, if it's a city or it's a town close enough to a city that has a comedy scene, I will definitely try to do some. There, some of the jobs look more promising for that than others. Okay. Um, and if not, it's going to be a year hiatus, and you know that's not super fun for me. But that that's how it goes sometimes. Unfortunately, it's a big place. Do you have any plans to come back to the UK? At the moment, no, just because it's expensive to get home. <laughs> um, okay. If I'm being perfectly honest, I mean, I definitely want to. I definitely want to come back at some point. Just I've made a lot of friends here, yeah, and I like yeah. the scene here. I, you know, I, I, I was one of the lead organizers of the Cambridge Fringe last year. I'm doing, I'm, I'm helping a bit with the Fringe this year, 26th yeah. of May, be there. Um, <laughs> but uh, I actually won't be physically here for the festival this time around. Yeah, I'm, I'm moving yeah. before then, so I definitely at some point would like to come back for Cambridge Friends just to see how it grows. Like it'd be Absolutely. really cool to see something we started get bigger and more successful. And I think Ali and Dan, who were in charge of it, uh, Ali Warwood, Dan Farmer, are they've got a good vision for what the next couple of years can look like. And I think they're really they're 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 two people who are well suited to get a community event in Cambridge. Yeah, like that. yeah. So I, I, it it only looks positive and I'm just excited to come back and see how it goes. So that's the reason to come back alone. That's the reason to come back. And then you know it's unlike a lot of festivals, it's a one day maybe a two day in the future so that's a that's an easy visit rather than like in edinburgh where it's a month-long commitment some people take time off completely like leave their jobs just to Mm -hmm. do it um stuff like that but if you've got anything else to plug gosh yeah um well i i've got two more months of shows (laughs) um so we do our open mic first laughs um and if you go to facebook.com backslash first laughs can sign up for that um we do that the first tuesday of every month at the tram depot we have our panel show uh at thirsty in mitchum corner um called the best medicine uh sort of like a interview slash comedy advice thing we got like four comics every time it's always super fun 
Cambridge French Festival, 26th of May. Definitely go. It's going to be cool. Um, listen to this podcast. It's not really makes sense and to plug it if you're already on it. Uh, watch the story of God on National yeah, Geographic. <laughs> but this is the third episode of season three. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you know when that's coming out? Do you know? uh, so uh, in America, that comes out on Tuesday. So you could probably get a bootleg version of it beforehand. <laughs> um, if you are inclined to do that, you, you may in fact go ahead and break the law. I would never condone such behavior. Um, and then in, it'll be in the UK. I believe fifth of May is when the third episode would air. Um, but it'll be it'll be airing in the UK in May, and then I mean, it, I'm pretty sure UK Netflix gets it concurrently. We'll go get it in May as well, so you'll be able to watch it on there, which is wild <laughs> um, to think of. I, a friend of mine realized that they can play six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon with me now because <laughs> 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 I, I technically will be on IMDb, sort of. So uh, it's surreal. Wow! Thanks for joining me, Jay. No, thanks for having me. Look, appreciate it. Well, I really enjoyed that conversation with Joe. It was a real good one for me. It's a real bittersweet, really, because although I'm sure he's going to go and do some amazing stuff in the US, it's a real shame to lose such an amazing comedian and a great great guy, a good friend in, in Cambridge. But hopefully he will come back for the Cambridge Fringe Festival, which is run by Dan Farmer and Ali Warwood. And, yeah, check out First Laughs. That'll be in the show notes, too. And also Best Medicine, which hopefully will continue even after he goes back to the US. All the information of how you can watch him on The Story of God by Morgan Freeman will also be in the show notes too. For now, thank you so much for listening and take care. See you soon. Hello, I'm Luke Anthony. Do you love hearing about the stars, careers, lives and mental health? Well, Meet the Stars is a brand new podcast all about that. Join me every week from Wednesday the 2nd of December for an excellent conversation with a different star each episode. Simply go over to members.starevents.online to become a member, which gives you exclusive access to every episode and so many other brilliant features just for you. See you there.